Previously on Caustic Soda. Childbed fever. We need 2,000 pregnant ladies. A thousand of you have a couple beers. <laughs> and you have a telepathic connection with your fetus, right? So you can think, you know what it's thinking at all times. If we can go vaginal, I'd like to go vaginal. Okay. I I'd say that every day. Why is that? <laughs> that's, that's, I wake up in the morning and I say to myself, if I could go vaginal, I'd prefer to go vaginal. And now, the conclusion. In 2013, 289,000 women died from complications related to pregnancy or childbirth worldwide. Approximately 10 million women each year suffer injury, infection, or disease as a result of childbirth. Five direct complications account for most of maternal deaths. Hemorrhage, infection, unsafe abortion, eclampsia, and obstructed labor. So childbirth is dangerous. Don't do it. It's unsafe. Yep. That's right. Well, except that you have the chance of making a new person. So, like, you got to just do the math. Like, mm -hmm. if you're risking a person, but right. making a new person. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, so you're like, so even if it's one for one, you're just, you're... The one for one, we're maintaining our we're maintaining birth and, rate. Well, and that's you're getting younger. You're like trading down. For and a, that's originally where uh, C-sections came from. It wasn't to save the mother and the baby. It was just once the mother was definitely going to die. Well, first off, to save the baby so you could baptize it because that would be paramount. Right. right. Yes. And once, you know, the, they figure out they could do it for baptism, then maybe we could keep the kid alive mm -hmm. for a bit longer. <laughs> Just, like, you know, so we can put it in the... adulthood. Get it to, you know, work in the mines or on the yeah. mm -hmm. milling machine or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Get their tiny hands in there to clear yep. out all the, uh, all the cotton from our, the... our childhood labor episode. I want to thank uh, our intern, Corey, for a ton of work on this episode. Sherry, too. And Sherry. Absolutely. But Corey specifically uh, did most of the editing on this next section, purple fever. Purple fever? Uh, childbed fever, if you prefer. Oh, yes, you know, I we do. We talked about in our pop quiz earlier from Dr. Jenna. Uh, this is a condition that results from an infection of the female reproductive organs contracted during childbirth or miscarriage. If untreated, it is often fatal. After childbirth, a woman's genital tract has large bare surfaces, which are prone to infection. Bear? Mm-hmm. Oh! I'm afraid of bears. Oh, oh, a bear, like a bear cub just yeah, appeared in your... Yeah, so there's a bear surface? Yeah, I got it. Infection may be limited to the cavity and wall of her uterus, or it may spread beyond, especially when her resistance has been lowered by a long labor or severe bleeding. Okay. Pathogenic organisms can invade the bloodstream and lymph system to cause septicemia, cellulitis, pelvic or generalized peritonitis. Mm. Uh, organisms commonly found causing these infections are streptococcus pyrogenes. Don't like it. Staphylococci. Don't like that either. Anaerobic streptococci. That's all right. Uh, Escherichia coli. I don't know that one. Clostridium. You don't know E. coli? Oh, not the Escherichia coli. <laughs> Nobody ever says the Escherichia. But That's what threw me. <laughs> it sounds like sriracha, actually. Sriracha coli is the really tasty coli. Mm, the, the, the taste too spicy for me. S. coli. Can't do it. Yeah. Clostridium welchi uh -huh. and Clostridium tetani. Oh, yes. Uh, today in the United States, purple infection is believed to occur in 1% to 8% of all births. Three women die from purple sepsis for every 100,000 births. Can I pronounce it purpural? Purpural fever. Can I do it that you way? You can. You just proved that. Yeah. <laughs> if you believe it, it will become true. So three deaths per 100,000 births is, uh, you know, I mean, that's a number. Not a terribly high number. 
It's kind of statistically, you know. I'll take those odds. Pretty low. You take those yeah, odds. I'll, 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 I'll put my money too. on that. However, in the 18th and 19th centuries, puerperal fever was the single most common cause of maternal mortality, accounting for half of all deaths related to childbirth. Okay. And was second only to tuberculosis in killing women of childbearing age. Oh. The majority of puerperal fever incidents were caused by the doctors treating the women. Oh, those. Yeah guys yeah we'll get into that a little bit as far as how you know originally uh childbirth was very much the domain of women done at home done at home in a field whatever minimum amount of leeches yeah (laughs) the the minimum amount of intervention period yeah it's just it's god's will and then we move into hospitals and we'll talk about a little bit about some of the conditions that led to the spike in purple fever. Specifically incidents. the fact that hospitals of this era did not adhere to germ theory. Right. So women That's our were, new favorite theory. Yeah. They they were it's still uh, the miasma. It was still a miasma. So the, the hospitals all smelled great because <laughs> they wanted to keep the uh, the airborne disease uh, down to a minimum. But unfortunately, women were constantly subjected to frequent vaginal examinations, use of contaminated instruments, dressings, and bedding. Right. It was common practice for a doctor to deliver one baby after another without washing hands or changing clothes in between. It was like pulling hankies out of a oh, out like out a, of a clown's pocket. Yeah. yeah, right. There you go. Well, and actually, as far as the the room smelling nice and stuff, you're actually not that far off. They used to, uh, it was pretty common around midday, you know, midday in the hospital, just sort of open everything up, air everything out. So it did smell nice and Mm -hmm. like to to get out any bad miasma and whatnot, but to... um, the whole the whole germ understanding not so, uh-huh. not so much and you know what I don't even really care what kind of stuff that theoretical physics has got on in their theory department I think the germ theory should really be everyone's favorite yeah no kidding hospitals throughout Europe and America consistently reported death rates of twenty to twenty five percent of women giving birth punctuated by intermittent epidemics of up to a hundred percent fatalities in childbirth wards wow sounds like a fun thing to give birth in a hospital you eh? think you'd be like this isn't working. <laughs> when every woman who comes in to give birth dies? We might be. Maybe we'll do the opposite of no, what we've been doing. The doctors are like, we, we'll fix it. Yeah. We'll a fix a it. number of physicians began to suspect contagion and hygiene as causal factors in spreading purple fever. In 1843, Oliver Wendell Holmes published The Contagiousness of Purpural Fever and controversially concluded that purpural fever was frequently carried from patient to patient by physicians and nurses. Right. He suggested clean clothing and avoidance of autopsies by those aiding birth would prevent the spread. Holmes's conclusions were ridiculed by his contemporaries. Some quotes. Surgeons operated in blood-stiffened frock coats. The stiffer the coat, the prouder the busy surgeon. Sir Frederick Trevis said of the era, there was no objection to being clean. Indeed, cleanliness was out of place. It was considered to be finicking and affected. An executioner might as well manicure his nails before chopping <laughs> off a head. That is good advice, well, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> that you, know, you should manicure your nails yes, before chopping off yes. a head? I yeah, think an no executioner reason. and a doctor have slightly different objectives. <laughs> Not when the death rate is 100%. <laughs> <laughs> good point. In 1844, Ignaz Semmelweis noticed that his ward 16% mortality rate from fever was substantially higher than the 2% mortality rate in the ward where midwifery students were being trained. Midwifery. Midwifery? Oh, midswifery. Oh, that's how you get rid of the dead fetuses and and ladies. With a swiffer. Yeah, you midswiffer. 
puerperal fever was rare in women who gave birth before arriving at the hospital. <laughs> right. And doctors, <laughs> doctors in his ward would perform autopsies in the morning on the women who had died the previous day. Right. But the midwives were not allowed to perform such autopsies. Oh. So 16% in his ward, 2% in the midwife ward. Semmelweis finally made the connection between autopsies and puerperal fever after a colleague died of septicemia when accidentally cutting his hand while performing that autopsy. Oh, oh, mm. see, now I'm dying. Yeah, better figure this shit <laughs> now, out. Yeah, yeah well, now we gotta Let's like, get actually... serious. So what you're saying is they went, man, all these places where we cut people open and let out all the stuff that's killed them is killing the other people in the same room? Because they, they, the, they did the autopsy there, I guess. Oh, they do an autopsy in one room, then not wash up, and then oh, go and deliver a baby. Yeah, yeah, it's not that they're floating around in the yeah. room. It's that they're on their hands and their instruments. Yeah. Okay, and, everything. I and a lot of hospitals didn't actually have hand-washing facilities because right. it wasn't considered necessary at all. Yeah. And so, and you're trying to have a dirty coat because, again, yeah, you know, how many people have I been in today? How much blood is the prouder, gore the has busy gotten surgeon. all over yeah. me? Yeah. And so, yeah, you're doing autopsies, getting right. completely filthy. Forget about gloves and that kind of yeah. thing. Right. Or if you're going to wear gloves, they might as well be dirty to match your coat. Mm-hmm. And then well, you, you know, get called to the delivery from fashion. the autopsy room and you just yeah. go straight there. Ta-da! Well, the surgeon okay. didn't want no to problem. be featured in the, uh, you know, the fashion backward page of the tabloid. Yeah, after with all. a clean coat. With clean gloves and a dirty no. coat or what? That means you're not doing your job. That's right. Uh, in May 1847, Semmelweis ordered all the doctors and students to wash their hands in chlorinated lime solution before each vaginal examination. The mortality rate from puerperal fever in his division fell from 18% in May to 3% in November of the same year. While his results were extraordinary, he was still treated with skepticism. Publication of his findings was not well received. The scorn and ridicule of other doctors was so extreme that Semmelweis had to leave Vienna and was eventually committed to a mental asylum where he died. Wow. I want to watch that movie (laughs) or HBO miniseries. Yeah, no kidding. The other doctor that really contributed significantly to um, research and changing practices as far as hand washing and whatnot was uh, Dr. Joseph Lister. So he... Um, Listerine! I'm sure. Also, Listeria. Uh-huh. Um, the bacteria right. yeah, was yeah, named yeah. in his honor, which I was sort of discussing this with someone, whether or not that's really an honor. <laughs> um, but anyhow... The more things that make people sick that I can be named after the yeah. better. <laughs> oh, um, but he sort of was working in the mid to late 1800s uh, after Semmelweis did a lot of his work um, and was also looking into sanitary conditions in hospitals and surgeries in Glasgow. And he started mandating the use of clean gloves and washing hands and instruments with a 5% carbolic acid solution mm. and swabbing wounds with the same and really significantly reduced the rate of gangrene and other infections such as the puerperal fever. I mean, even after Semmelweis and all his work, uh, like you said, he there's still a lot of ridicule as far as these they, techniques. They, they drove him to the madhouse. Yeah. Everyone used to sort of refer to the good old surgical stink. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, in that uh, naming yourself in honor of something, Mr. Bubonic must have been super proud. Mm-hmm. Semmelweis, Semmelweis. <laughs> in the animal kingdom. <laughs> Of course, male seahorses are famously active fathers, even taking on the role of egg incubator. Females deposit unfertilized eggs into a pouch in the male's belly. Mm-hmm. He fertilizes and protects these eggs for several weeks and then gives birth from the pouch. Wow. There you go. Does, you, that, does that count as childbirth? I say yes. Yes, of course yeah. it does. This is the basis for that Schwarzenegger movie. Junior. Uh, yeah, Junior. Yes, it right. does not count as vaginal childbirth. No. No, no, no. No, no. no it's pouch. He doesn't need a vagina for that. No. It's pouchy birth. Yes. 
The female Suriname toad lays oh. eggs, mm-hmm. and the male places them on the female's back. Okay. She then proceeds to grow a skin up and over the eggs, uh-huh. incubating them while they develop beyond the tadpole age into fully formed baby frogs, and then they, quote, hatch, unquote, by bursting through the mom's back. Oh! Does it kill her? No. No, no, no. Oh. They kind of squiggle out. We'll put there's. We can watch a video of this, which I'll put up on CosticSodaPodcast uh, of all the little squirming guys bursting out of the back of the frog. Oh, that, God. Is, that is not a frog. This is, it's kind of horrifying. It's kind of horrifying. For spotted hyenas, mm-hmm. elevated levels of testosterone <laughs> cause the females to not only act extremely aggressive toward their male counterparts during sex, uh-huh. which is actually downright dangerous for the males, but also cause the females to develop pseudo-penises. Mm. Uh, these, uh, what? Yeah, these appendages are... Or a.k.a. the Joe. <laughs> <laughs> these appendages are essentially an extended clitoris, some that can grow as long as seven inches. Wow. But the problem with these hyena pseudo-penises is that it becomes the path through which the mother has to give birth through. Oh, A very no. tiny tube. Oh, Oh, this sounds horrifying. The first time female hyenas give birth, they lose a lot of their young. In fact, 60% of hyena cubs die of suffocation inside the pseudopenis, which ruptures and takes we- weeks to heal. Why? Why? What? Why? Why do we? What? What, what about evolution? Intelligent design. What about a, intelligent design? <laughs> what, to say? what about nature? God is so wonderful. It's uh, making all those natural ruptured penises. So I just have to say, you guys seem to be really upset about this because we're talking about penises. Yeah. Suddenly. <laughs> no, no, I'm yeah. talking about it. I don't know if you really know the anatomy of a cervix no. and what needs to happen to that because that's usually no, you know care. three or four centimeters long with this tiny, tiny, tiny wee little tube that I, has I, to I, dilate to ten centimeters for a freaking baby hey, head to fit I, through I, it, hey, which go, might tear. Jump back to our response to episiotomy, please. Yeah. This we're this is these are both horrible. Just because it's called a pseudo penis, I'm worried about this like super seven inch long tube that you have to pass an entire baby through that eventually gets suffocated. At sixty percent of them get suffocated. If sixty percent of your baby, sixty percent of human babies got suffocated because vages were too tight and long, <laughs> there'd be more C sections. <laughs> it would be it would be problematic. All right, very short pop quiz. All right, okay. What animal has the longest gestation period? Uh, tortoises. Elephants. Thank goodness it's not humans. <laughs> the alpine black salamander is a viviparous amphibian, which lives in the high-altitude Swiss Alps. Its gestation period can be up to 38 months. That's 3.1 years. Viviparous wow. means you give birth to live young. Right. That are not in eggs. Mm-hmm. The gestation period of the frilled shark may be as long as three and a half years. But it's hard to tell because they're in the ocean. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're having problems uh, figuring out what the, the doing the little check marks in the quiz. Right. On, on yeah. The, yeah. On the test. <laughs> yeah, on the form. Right. Yeah. They're, they're they're having an oral quiz and they keep getting their faces bit off. They also are getting confused between like the date of conception versus the last yeah, period. Exactly. Oh, that's right. Cool. There's like two. There's like two weeks here, or two weeks there. Exactly. It's unaccounted for. <laughs> Put your coat on the top hanger unless you've already seen your brother about the after the practice. Whatever that thing is in Monty Python, nobody is reacting to this show. No. As far I know as what you're talking. About. What is the shortest gestational period? Uh, one day. Nope. Longer. Two months. Shorter. Wait. What kind of gestation are we talking about? There's so a lot you, of different this, ways you can give from, birth. In the animal, in the animal say, kingdom. I'm going to say uh, two weeks. Uh, 12 to 13 days from the opossum. 
which is one of the shortest gestation periods we know of in a mammal. Uh, possums are are they marsupials? Yes. Yeah. 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 So that would kind of be why, because yeah. they, then they just yeah they crawl into the pouch. Yeah. They have yeah, like yeah. the tiny little. Right. Good times. Yeah. I think it's time for a public service announcement. Public, public service announcement. How to perform an emergency birth? Okay. Mm. Uh, just let nature take its course. <laughs> well, stand and, back. Sure, if you want those odds. No, we're just talking about it's emergent. See. Emergency section? Emergent? No, th- th- that's what birth is. It's emergent. See? Right? Yes. Just a regular standard old birth? Well, I mean, an emergency birth is a regular standard old birth where you it's don't have emergency. the support that right. you were planning on. Caveman birth is what yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Birth. In my opinion, every birth is an emergency. Birth yeah, on the highway. <laughs> right? Number one, don't panic. It's good <laughs> advice. Remaining calm can help you focus on the birth, even if you're alone. Call your doctor, midwife, or 911 if you're able. Yeah, I prefer to have the fireman Here's uh, my baby. Uh, here's what I think is kind of obvious. Uh, if you are in your car, pull over and put on your blinkers. You're much safer having the baby in the car while it's stopped. Okay, <laughs> no, no, because so, the baby... No, 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 no. The, the mother has the seatbelt on, uh-huh. and you drive really fast, and then oh, put on, the slam on the brakes, <laughs> and the baby will just go shoomp right out. And right. the airbags will go on and it'll be fine. <laughs> Two things to add to that perfectly service announcement. Firstly, if you're pregnant, totally wear your seatbelt. You're absolutely supposed to. Right. Okay. Secondly. But you also have to have a smaller seatbelt for your stomach. No. Ba- baby the... seatbelt. Okay. You can paint one on maybe. <laughs> um, as far as when to pull over, like that's really questionable because labor, especially for a first birth, can uh-huh. be really, really long. And so as far as like if you're in right. labor, you especially early like stages of labor, hours. maybe you should continue on. driving to the hospital. I think hospital. what they're talking about is like as if the baby is coming. Like yeah. if you're at the point your where that baby is, is coming, the oh. water is broken, you are about to do it. That's Here's the time question. to stop. Here's a technical question. Hmm. Labor. Yes. Starts after the water breaks, before? The water the... can break at different points. Okay. So there's... And is it like throwing a water balloon against someone? Because that's what if that's what Hollywood has taught me. If it's Hollywood like... has taught me anything, it's like having a water balloon in your pants. Is that true? From what I understand, not. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little more like a relatively slow urination. Mm. Okay. 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 Remind the mother to try to pant or only push very gently with the contractions. <laughs> Apparently that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As the baby's head becomes visible, place your hand on the head and provide it with support to keep it from popping out. Oh, you don't want it to come out too fast? I guess so. You're like holding it back in there? Well, this is where a lot of the tearing in that thing can come from. If the baby's coming really fast and the tissue doesn't actually have enough time to stretch. And so a lot of the labor practices and Laba's practices and all that kind of stuff is actually to help the mother... Um, suppress the urge to push right. or to push right. really fast because if she naturally. bears down too quickly and I don't I'm really reticent to say anything A because I haven't been through and B because I mean a lot of women go through things and I don't want to blame them for what happened to them um, but yeah a lot of their practices are to help slow right. things down to allow everything to stretch right mm. okay take so, it easy pace yourself ladies yeah <laughs> yep enjoy this experience stretch that sucker out do, uh, said the person who's engaging in anal sex. If you do that, you don't have to worry about the baby thing, too. Uh-huh. True. Do not pull on the baby or its head. Gently guide the baby out. That seems uh, like something that I would know inherently. I don't know. I, I, didn't really, like, I, don't I don't know. I would be like, should I be helping? Should I pull? I'm glad that that told me Let me, me do that. something. Yeah. Help me do something. After birth, gently stroke downward on the baby's nose to After help birth. expel excess mucus and amniotic fluid. 
Oh, so oh, okay. stroke downward on the stuff. baby's nose. Yep. All right. Because huh. they don't really breathe until they're out. Right, right. right. Lots because... of fluid. Right. So you oh, so you got to get the fluid out. They're not breathing out. while this they're in the womb. In. This is the scene from The Matrix when Neo gets pulled out of the right. pod. Yes. And he's got to like, good, he's coughing up all, all that. Gun. And that, all the gun. That is the birth and analogy s- happening right the there. Yeah. And if your baby comes out looking like a full-grown uh, Keanu, Reeves. Keanu Reeves, then more power then, to you. Uh, yeah, then, then put it back and try again. No, get him in <laughs> acting class. Like, you know, get that party. Oh, he never took wait, an acting class. What are we kidding? Is this like a miniaturized version of a full-grown Keanu Reeves? Keanu Reeves nope. got kicked out of the National Theatre School of Canada. Come on. Yeah. Uh, place, too good looking. Yeah. <laughs> place the baby skin to skin on mom with the baby's head slightly lower than its body to help facilitate draining the mucus. Cover both of them with dry blankets or towels. Okay. They won't stay dry for long. Probably not. <laughs> don't cut or pull on the umbilical cord. Oh? Uh? No, just don't. Can I wrap it around like a necklace? If the placenta is born, place it next to the baby. Again, do not cut the cord. This is in bold. All right. Don't. Why, well, Dr. Jenna, why don't we want to cut the cord? So well, you got the baby. Yeah. You got the... Wh- the baby comes out first. Yeah. Then there's the tube. Cord. Yeah. The cord. Yeah. yeah. And then out comes the placenta, maybe. De- it has to. It has yeah. to. The it placenta has to, has come, to come out. out. Come on it out, It doesn't placenta. have to come out, like, right literally then. that minute. Mm-hmm. But right. usually within there. usually within five to 15 but you, minutes. But it's not recommended to just pull on the cord until no. the placenta so goes... the problem... <laughs> Would be that you have the risk of rupturing the placenta and leaving some of it in there. Oh, okay. ah, if that yeah. happens, you have massive infectional oh. possibilities yeah. and, oh, and a high probability of, of really pure, bad pure outcomes. So again, slow. You want it to disengage from the uterine wall just on its own time. That's we have evolved doing. to be able to do yeah. this. So there will continue to be uterine contractions that happen after the baby is actually born that help to first dislodge and then um, pass the uterus okay. through. Uh, it shouldn't be painful or anything, especially compared to this ginormous head that's full of bones. Yeah, it should be just easy going after that, well, it's like, right? It's like you know? jellyfish-esque, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. um, so, the baby is? No, that would be lovely. <laughs> um, see through it's got bioluminescence. <laughs> David Attenborough's narrating somewhere. Yeah, you just, yeah uh, don't pull, don't cut. We don't want to infect anything. And there's a really good chance that if you're giving birth on the side of the highway, you don't actually have sterilized equipment to cut the cord. Mm-hmm. It's not oh. going to hurt the baby to continue being attached to this placenta that's been attached okay. to for a long time. So, yeah. you, you can't so, just, uh, you, you shouldn't just get, go at it with your teeth. You should not. You should not do that. I should not turn the baby upside down and spank it. Uh, you should not do that. Okay. If the baby should is turn not... the mother upside down and if spank the, her. Okay, I, I feel like I shouldn't give advice because I have no idea, but if the baby isn't breathing, I feel like you should try different Turkey methods to make it breathe, one of which may be holding it upside down. Like, if That's it doesn't it. seem like it's really going to hurt, probably try if it's not breathing yeah but i don't know i would say mostly clear that air passage is the just keep stroking stroking the nose stroking the nose at what point should i eat the placenta That's <laughs> anytime you want but yeah. after it's cut by someone who should be cutting the okay cord. so not while not while the baby's still attached to it don't don't eat the placenta while the oh, baby's still attached you could to totally it. go lady in the tramp on it right like just suck up <laughs> that like <laughs> strand of spaghetti <laughs> Right up to the baby, and then just go and and take it off all in one go. And then look bashful (laughs) to the side. So romantic. (laughs) Doesn't that assume that the baby's going to be on the other side, like pulling it as well? Yes, it's like, give me my umbilical cord back, you weirdo. In the history...
According to popular folklore, the only Spartans with their names on tombstones were those who died doing their greatest duty. Men who died in battle and women who died in childbirth. Oh. Which was lots of them. Uh, yeah, but yeah, fewer of them that when it first moved into hospitals. Uh, and true. if you were a lady. Less than 100%. And if you were a pregnant lady pretending to be a man in battle who died while giving birth. You two names. Two yeah. tombstones. Uh, in, with the Aztecs, women who died in childbirth were considered heroines the same way as men who died in battle or were sacrificed to the gods. If the baby died as well, the dead mother's hands would be cut off and placed next to the baby's corpse as if they were holding it. So they died together. Sure. They would cut off the mother's hands and then bury it with the baby. No reason so not to. It would go into the afterlife with hands cradling it. I think I would just bury the mother with the baby. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> Why not? Maybe save, they save had rules space. so you had to have your own private grave. Mm-hmm. Dismemberment, A-OK. Burying together, not OK. Yeah. Got it. Uh, it's often thought that Julius Caesar was born by cesarean section and therefore his mother died in childbirth since cesareans were 100% fatal at that time. This is urban legend, as Aurelia Cotta survived her son's birth for many years. The term cesarean section derives from the Latin cedare, to cut. Caesar means long-haired and was the dictator's family name for 300 years before his birth. They are not related. Julius Longhair. Now, what about Caesar salad? Is that referring to the long hair? No, it was called Caesar salad because the first time it was served, they found a hair in it, right? And then they're like, this Caesar salad, take it back. And they went, hmm. I ordered not Caesar salad. (laughs) People born by C-section were considered not born as they were not born in the traditional way. This caused issues for inheritance, et cetera, in some countries. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah, because, I mean, as Kevin said, when it was first started, it was 100% fatal to the mother. Right. Um, But then you had this baby, but it didn't actually pass through the vaginal canal, so it wasn't considered properly born. No vagina, no person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so actually in... Um, in Ireland, although I don't know what time period, apparently Irish twins, if they were born by cesarean section, were prevented from inheriting. Right. Goodness knows why this was only for twins. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, the whole non-birth thing was actually something that was put as sort of a card against people for a long time. Right. Um, And also spurred the name of the Saint uh, Nonartis, who uh, we'll get to a little bit in the pop culture section with the series called the midwife but that's the patron saint of childbirth midwives pregnant women children and for some reason priests who are defending the confidentiality of confession okay all right it lumped them in there why not what the hell didn't want to make up a whole new saint for that yeah sometimes there's not enough saints (laughs) before the 20th century it was more dangerous for a woman to have children than it was for a man to fight in a war sure you're more likely to die in childbirth than if you went to war, die in battle. And that was like the hand-to-hand combat days. Oh, yeah. I mean, today was, if you're involved yeah. in a war, you might be at a desk. Who knows? Well, yeah, this this is actually what changed uh, the, the this statistic was that industrialized warfare and the sanitation movement finally being adopted in, in medical procedures. So it flipped the switch on the old childbirth being in war thing. Hmm. It's called, uh, you know, um, the sexual switcheroo. That's not what that's called. It's a. Uh, it, <laughs> it was a double standard that became not double standard. I don't think you could call it a standard when it's just kind of the way things were. Uh, Isn't that the definition like, of standard? No, standard. You <laughs> set up a standard to go. We've got to make sure that more women are dying in childbirth <laughs> yeah, than, than men in war, because that's just the way, the way things should, should be. be. Yeah, that's a standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, in ancient Greece and Rome, in situations where a baby's abnormal birth position slowed its delivery, the birth attendant turned the infant in utero 
or shook the bed in an attempt to reposition oh, the fetus externally. Yeah, it's like gold panning. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, gold panning for babies. And this isn't completely ridiculous, and it is also something that's sometimes done today by experienced people. If, if the baby is in a poor position and birth is sort of imminent, mm-hmm. you can sort of massage <laughs> yeah. the belly from the outside in uh, certain ways. Right. But it's a really low-risk uh, way of yeah, trying to sure. reposition yeah. the baby If it doesn't work, all you've done is massage them a bit, yeah. so no big deal. I just the love... shaking of the bed, I feel, is probably less effective. <laughs> I just love this idea of this Roman midwife just like, shaking this bed like crazy. <laughs> Maybe it worked because they would eventually like, fall out right on their bellies and just go boink and eject them. You seem to think that just pressing <laughs> is like, going to help. No, babies are like zits, right? this up a couple of times. Yeah, no, babies are like zits, right? Yeah, a yeah. pregnant lady is basically a big pimple. Yeah. A that's dead, how just, I feel. Squeeze that, squeeze that. The glow. That's the that's glow. glow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, in ancient Roman Greece, a dead baby who failed to be delivered would be dismembered in the womb with sharp instruments and removed with a squeezer. Uh, a re- retained placenta was delivered by means of counterweights, which would pull it out by force. I don't understand. So if your placenta didn't drop, then right. uh, they would like tie a bunch of weights to it and give it a little heave-ho. Drop! I mean, these people made aqueducts, for God's sakes. They were engineers well, through and through. Right. I'm guessing the counterweights was so that it was relatively a nice slow pull rather than a yank. Here's hoping. Yeah, you'd hope, hope you, so. You want to do this gently, yeah. but you do got to get it out. Add a few more grams on. I would like grams. to see this device. I would like to see uh. a diagram of the placenta <laughs> counterweight removal device. I feel like most of them would have been MacGyvered in some way. Okay. Bubblegum I don't know foil. this for sure. So that was in ancient Greece and Rome. And during the medieval period... Uh, Catholic mothers sought solace in praying to St. Margaret, the patron saint of pregnant women, while Protestant women prayed directly to the Lord without intercession sure. of saints. Yeah, you don't need it. Direct line. Yeah, go straight to the big men. To hasten delivery, a midwife massaged the mother's belly and genitalia with oil, Ooh. greasing the wheels, oh, yeah. literally. Or they would bloodlet through an ankle vein. What? Well, when does bloodletting not help in that's yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. true. Uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. Uh, in instances of breech presentation, stillbirth, twins, or other problems caused by pelvic deformities, a surgeon would be called in. Sometimes he would have to dismember and extract the fetus with crochet hooks and knives in order to oh. save the life of the mother. Don't forget to take your crochet project off the hooks before you go in to grab oh, the baby. Oh, really? Yeah, because although it could act kind of as a netting. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Like actually, net. scratch yeah. that, scratch that. <laughs> Leave it on. Yeah. Make sure. Make sure the crocheting yeah. uh, is, is involved. Yeah. And then it was a fairly big sock. <laughs> uh, in the 16th and 17th centuries, accurate illustrations of the gravid uterus were described for the very first time. Okay. In 1752, Scottish surgeon William Smelly. He sure was. Introduced a new and improved forceps that avoided the uterine and vaginal mutilation with a, that the earlier prototype had often caused. Okay. Uh, pregnant women remained reluctant to call a surgeon in this era because of his traditional association with death. Yes. Moreover, husbands and moralists expressed concerns that a male presence during labor could compromise a woman's virtue. That's true. You don't want them looking at that stuff. So no. this brings up a very particular point in history where childbirth started passing from the domain of women yep. into something that men decided that they were better at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, yep. as is the way it should be. Yeah. I mean, it makes, <laughs> medical science was progressing and they were learning more and more about all different parts of the anatomy and different ways that you can help people through difficult times in life. And labor and birthing was a difficult time. Mm-hmm. And so it was something that sort of was a natural progression. But 
for example, when we're talking about the medieval times, really, really, really the domain of women, there'd be women in the room, you'd have the mother, um, some of her female relatives, and hopefully a midwife if available. Um, there are in times where they're really worried about population and that kind of thing, there was a lot of training around midwifery um, to help more people get at least some level of experience in helping with this process. But it was like something handled by women, that that's what they did. And then in the 16th and 17th centuries is when men started to come into things and then develop things like forceps, develop mm -hmm. things yeah. like uh, different types of interventions that people would have. And so, yeah, like you were saying, they only called these people in when there was no other option. Right. Because there was a lot of death associated with surgeons outside of pregnancy and birth, but also within pregnancy and birth, as we were talking about with this lack of sanitation yep. and whatnot happening in surgeries. Dr. Jenna, are you suggesting that doctors can sometimes do more harm than good? Especially at this time. <laughs> Yes. You know, that but is? you know what? All people do have the opportunity to do more harm than good, even if they're sort of well-meaning. But I mean, the practices and stuff evolve for a reason. We would hope that doctors would do less harm than good. But, you know. Well, now, twilight sleep is an amnesic condition. I assume that means forgotten. Uh-huh. Induced by an injection of morphine and scopolamine. Okay. Especially to relieve the pain of childbirth. This combination induces a semi-narcotic state which produces the experience of childbirth without pain or without the memory of pain. All right. As a result of twilight sleep during birth, a woman would wake up to a new baby. Hello! <laughs> without any memory of the actual birth. The drugs did not suppress the pain of childbirth, just the memory of it, uh, of which course. is the most important part. So, so this is like the, um, you know, uh, 19th century version of the men in black uh, flashlight thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Some women under twilight sleep would have a psychotic episode, claw out their own eyes, <laughs> try to climb walls. But then they wouldn't be able to see their baby the next day. Try to hurt themselves and the hospital staff due to hallucinations. Well, and not only hallucinations, but they're right out of it in a horrible amount of pain uh -huh. and don't really know what's going on. Yeah, because they're in a narcotic state. And so it was common practice to blindfold these women as well as tie them down to the bed to get the baby out while they're, you know, in this. I mean, twilight sleep sounds quite peaceful. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> this was far from it. And I mean, I've had a similar experience, not on the same level, but when my wisdom teeth were being taken out, I was uh -huh. supposed to be out, but I woke up. Um, and was out enough <laughs> that I didn't have any inhibitions, but awake enough to feel all the pain yeah. oh. and be horrified. Oh. So they were holding me down by the shoulders while I was screaming and thrashing and um, them yanking Did, out teeth. So they, you, were, you were having a twilight sleep tooth baby. It was a twilight mm -hmm. sleep experience, except for the fact that I remember it relatively clearly. Right. Mm. But yeah, so it's not only the psychoses that could actually be induced by the drugs like hallucinations, but just the whole experience itself was so horrific and very much out of control of the woman that there was a lot of thrashing and banging and violence. Right. One of the other major side effects was nervous system depression in the baby and often resulted in babies who had respiratory failure. Imagine that, uh, dumping tons of uh, narcotics. Uh, narcotics and morphine and scopolamine into a woman's body as she's giving birth. That might have a problem. 
problematic with for the baby, maybe? Well, there are a lot of drugs that are used for pain control during yeah. labor. Um, and actually, um, the twilight sleep inducing drug cocktail was not the first one that was used. As far as I'm aware, the very first uh, um, pain control as far as drugs that were administered in Western medicine was to Queen Victoria oh. while she was having, I think, her eighth child oh. uh, mm-hmm. who requested uh, maybe some chloroform like please doctor may i please not have be some conscious chloroform? i thought they were going to give her a spot of tea or something that, no. that was th- that's what the british count as a drug yeah right? no but actually the while you know the the twilight sleep experience sounds really horrific the development of pain control that was only available by doctors in hospitals right. was something that actually drove more women from having birth at home with midwives right. to choosing to go to a hospital right. to deliver. I right. I don't want this to hurt. Oh uh, yeah. I'm going to go somewhere that can So they're going for twilight sleep uh but not realizing that they might just claw their own eyes out in the process. I feel that wasn't clearly communicated in the waiver. Oh, <laughs> you don't think they say uh chance of eye clawing. One practitioner of twilight sleep would sometimes keep women medicated for as much as 57 hours. What? Why? Why? Why would you keep someone medicated long after the birth is over? So they forget you too, and they can't hunt you down. <laughs> claw, yeah. claw your eyes out. <laughs> Should we talk about some inventions for yeah. birthing? Let's do it. The Birthatron Five Thousand. First one, uterus and vagina. Very first invention oh, yeah. for yeah. birthing, yeah. invented by God <laughs> or you know nature. The forceps. The forceps were invented by Peter Chamberlain. Should have called the Chamberlains. Chamberlains. Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Or Chamberlain. Sometime between 1576 and 1600, these were used in the extraction of a living child during difficult childbirths to avoid infant deaths when previous approaches involving hooks and other instruments would extract them in parts. Right. We don't want to break up the baby. Yeah. You know, it's alive. It's a baby still. Right. We're really trying to avoid that. Yeah. We're not going to spear the baby right through. Yeah, and like pull it with out the of barbed there. spear that we usually use to get the baby out. Yeah, forceps. The forceps were kept secret for 150 years Shh. by the Chamberlain family, <laughs> carried into the birthing room in a lined box, and would only be used once everyone was out of the room and the mother blindfolded. It's a secret wow. weapon. That is, I guess, this is how you protect your 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 copy. This right is their version of say, like, TMP. Yeah. Yeah, For they, sure. they probably had TM written on the box. They didn't have the same patents available. Uh-huh. I got some fun forceps facts. Oh, good. The, uh, the three Fs. And uh, by fun, I mean, ugh. <laughs> the grandnephew of Peter Chamberlain, Hughes Chamberlain, tried to sell the instrument in Paris in 1670. However, during his demonstration of the forceps, the result was the death of the mother and child. Oh, that's wow. a bad... Wow. That's, wow. That, you know, bad this demo. Is like, this bad is like, de- demo gone wrong. This is like going to the PNE and seeing somebody in there like demonstrating the Ginsu knife and then oh. chopping their own hand off. Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, I thought you were going to say, there got the guy with the beard of bees... Oh, yeah. And then they just swarm out and sting everyone. <laughs> everyone, yeah. Only, only he's a super villain. They Beardo right. or Bezo, right? You know, and he ordered them to sting all the observers oh, so he could get their wallets. The beekeeper, uh, also known as the apiarist. <laughs> okay, all right. In 1747, French obstetrician André Lavrette modified the instrument to follow the curvature of the maternal pelvis, this pelvic curve allowing a grip on the fetal head still high in the pelvic excavation. 
After this improvement, the forceps would become a common obstetrical instrument for more than two centuries. Sure. I love this. So first we invent the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then we look at the anatomy that yeah. it's meant to deal with. Which is... Uh, <laughs> modify it. <laughs> uh, I all- think the first forceps were just like kitchen tongs, right? <laughs> Probably. Well, here's the thing. Keep them secret. Here's the thing. The, the Chamberlains were in England, right? Yeah. And this, this pelvic curve happened in, in France. France. Oh yeah, I think and the was, French are better lovers. The French, like they, they, they um, perhaps took a more up close and personal look at the vagina. Possibly, I, I Possibly. can just imagine fewer I, petticoats. Wait a minute, do you want me to get down there and take a look? <laughs> oh, oh. Very Ted Knight of you, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> You're totally right. It did come out that way. The last improvement of the instrument was added in 1877 by fr- another French obstetrician, Stéphane Tarnier, which featured a traction system misaligned with the instrument itself, sometimes mm-hmm. called the third curvature of the forceps. This particularly ingenious traction system allowed the forceps to exercise traction on the head of the child following the axis of the maternal pelvic excavation, Uh which had never been possible before. Tarnier forceps remained the most widely used system in the world until the development of the cesarean section. Mm -hmm. There you go. I got an invention I want to talk about. Mm. Okay. This is from a patent filed in January of 1963. Oh, during the sexual revolution. Uh... (laughs) This is a for a birthing aid through centrifugal force. <laughs> oh, you, you snap. put them on the tilt the world <laughs> or the gravitron. We, maybe yeah, yeah, there we, you we go. have <laughs> we have some uh, we have from the patent application. We have some images that we'll put on the website at causticsodapodcast.com. Uh, and from the patent application, I quote. It is known that due to natural anatomical conditions, the fetus needs the application of considerable propelling force to enable it to push aside the constricting (laughs) vaginal walls, to overcome the friction of the uteral and vaginal surfaces, and to counteract the atmospheric pressure opposing the emergence of the child. In the case of a woman who has a fully developed muscular system, as is common with more primitive peoples, (laughs) nature provides all the necessary equipment and power to have a normal and quick delivery. This is not the case, however, with more civilized women who often often do not have the opportunity to develop the muscles needed in confinement. Well, I think this they, is Dr. true. Jenna, desk, are you civilized or primitive? <laughs> desk jobs make your uterus totally useless. <laughs> oh. Means are provided. Totally. If only I was wandering about the savannah being yeah. Carrying savage. Carrying a basket on your head. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was thinking of general savagery. Okay. Uh-huh. But there yeah. could be a basket involved. Sure. Uh-huh. I think a general savagery when it comes to the person who wrote this patent is what she's thinking about specifically. Okay. <laughs> uh, means are provided to assure the safe delivery of the fetus and to stop the machine immediately upon delivery. The means compromise a pocket-shaped reception net made of strong elastic <laughs> material. The bottom or closed end of the net lined with a thick wad of cotton. I, th- I, fit, I, th- when, <laughs> I look at this as just like... Pool table where the where the balls go in the corner of the <laughs> yeah. except it's it's a pool table that's spinning. Yeah. <laughs> when the fetus leaves the mother's vagina and lands on the cotton bed, its weight presses on the upright switch plate, causing the depression oh. of the horizontal switch plate and the switch out button, which causes an electric switch in the control box to stop the drive motor and rotation of the machine. Automatic turn off switch, no attendant required. This person played yeah. mousetrap. There, there are two words in that sentence that should not really be together very often, and that is fetus and land. <laughs> a suitable handbrake is provided adjacent to the controller to enable the operator to stop quickly the inertial rotation well, of machine. Of course, would not be the mother who would not have climbed into this bullshit. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, uh, this is by suitable automatic means which come into operation when the rate of revolution of the machine, either through mistake or malfunction, exceeds the amount considered safe for that particular patient. <laughs> 
Jane, stop <laughs> this crazy thing. <laughs> oh, I love this device. I really wish it had come into uh, regular use. Why didn't we invent this? Because all these civilized women must have needed it for the last 40 some odd years. Is this where we get carnies from? Is that how they're all born? They come out like that, and they're oh. like, I want to be around these things for the rest of my life. No, no, no. They're born into the carnival. It's any children born at the carnival because they put them on the octopus. Right, right? Yeah. You know, and I really want to know what other types of inventions this guy has in, has come up with for other things that just happen in life. They're all so centrifugal, like, though. Yeah, 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 yeah like, that's right. how does he eat pancakes? <laughs> no, yeah, he has Doesn't a... Doesn't involve a lot of gears. Well, this all stems from his original invention that got the ketchup out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. That's right, yes. Well, I really like like how there better not be any actual people around to catch the baby. Like, no, no, no. Let's avoid any hands or anything. Oh, yeah. No, this is fantastic. I wouldn't want to trust hands. Shit. Are you kidding me? Hands well, to catch a baby no. coming out of somebody being spun really fast? They do, do not co- have the, an automatic shutoff switch. The prototype version had a place where the doctor would sit on the centrifuge, but after a while, he would just start to get sick. Yeah, so he, was, was just, he was feeling a little nauseous yeah, and it so was a little just, straining We just got to put a net and there. We, we can't have the doctor, who's probably a man, get nauseous and go through yeah. some kind of discomfort. Just put the woman in there. That's actually not really far off than some of the um, mm. birthing manuals and that kind of thing that were written early in um, the 1900s. Right. So, for example, when you go into labor, mm-hmm. you should definitely make sure that you call the doctor for his convenience so that you can let him know sort of where you're at so that he can figure out a time that would work best for him. Right. Okay. As far right. as delivery. And then just clench. Yeah. Just like make sure you slow things down and like, you know, he's going to communicate to you when, when he thinks it's appropriate and right. then you can, you know, this is all the official documentation. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a, a helpful, you know, pregnancy book written mm-hmm. clearly by a very male doctor. Mm -hmm. Also, the most appropriate place to give birth would not be in your home, nor in the hospital closest to your home. It would be the hospital closest to his home. Yes. Ah, I see. Because that will be most convenient for him to be able to provide you the the care that you're lucky to get from him. Don't want to give the doctor undue stress. No. No, that would be horrible. Yeah, that might affect uh, his performance. Mm, Precisely. And so while I can't talk directly to it because I honestly haven't done the research, there's also been a lot of accusations about um, this sort of convenience for the doctors and the fact that a lot of C-sections happen around 5 or 6 p.m. Um, oh, because right. it's time for them. They right. want to go home. Like, let's, yeah. let's, get, let's get this done. And sort of other. And, and again, I apologize if I'm horribly offending people in the medical community and the quality of care between different hospitals and priorities does vary. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some hospitals where definitely the rates of C-sections are ridiculously high. The interventions that have been considered a gift to womankind um, from the medical establishment have, some of which have been absolute true life-saving gifts. Some of them, a little questionable. I got it.
what am I giving? Why do I want for things I dare not hope for? What can I hope for? I wish I knew. In the news, August 2014, India. Doctors in India have removed the skeleton of a fetus that had been inside a woman for 36 years Uh, in what is believed to be the world's longest ectopic pregnancy. Ectopic. All right. You think it was a ghost skeleton? Yes. Uh Well, it would have to be. The woman, 60 years old, became pregnant at the age of 24, but suffered a miscarriage because the fetus had been growing outside of her uterus. Okay. The woman from a poor rural area of central India was terrified. So so a a, a fetus did come out of her? Uh, No, a miscarriage. So the pregnancy terminated in that things stopped developing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then she probably resumed somewhat of a normal cycle, but because it was an ectopic pregnancy that occurred outside of her uterus, then um, the the entire contents of the uterus would have emptied out. Okay, but that didn't include the, the growing fetus. The growing okay, fetus. okay. So the woman was terrified about having surgery to remove the remains of the fetus and instead sought medication for pain at a local clinic. Okay. Although the pain gradually subsided, it would return years later and force the woman to seek medical help, complaining about pain in the abdomen. Like 36 years later. Yeah, like 36 years later. Okay. Doctors felt a lump of the woman's lower right abdomen and feared it could be cancer, but further tests <laughs> revealed a calcified mass. We've never seen a cancer that had the form of a person before. <laughs> Uh, once we saw the scans, our first reaction was, what are we dealing with? It was actually a matured skeleton encapsulated in a calcified sac. Awesome. A 60-year-old woman with a fetus lying in her abdomen for 36 years is a medical marvel. That's one way of describing it. It's something we had never heard about. <laughs> that makes two of us. The doctors searched medical literature and discovered a woman in Belgium who had retained the remains of a fetus for 18 years okay. following an ectopic pregnancy, the longest they could find on record. An ectopic pregnancy occurs when the egg implants outside the uterus, usually in the fallopian tubes. A team of doctors successfully performed surgery to remove the mass. So baby dies. Yep. The body makes a little cocoon of calcium mm-hmm. 
or calcite or whatever yep. around the baby mm-hmm. and just stays there for 36 years. Yes. Until, ow, I got this, oh. Ah, pain. Yeah, she's been taking Advil for 36 years, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, just went, it's too much. I can't take it any longer. I'm 60. I need I need to have someone to look at this thing. Happy birthday. I really wonder how old a fetus it was. Like, how developed. Because like I said, they go right. really fast. Like it would be very interesting. Oh, like, uh, did it like have what? eyes and fingers yeah. and whatnot? Or, uh, or was it a tadpole? Yes. Not a real tadpole, but yes. Yeah. 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 I'm using my tadpole to frog analogy here. Good job. Uh-huh. Pop culture. My first question is, do alien face huggers count as uh, an impregnation and do chest bursters count as a birth? No, because they're parasitic. No. Yeah. No. Okay. Do you consider my feet as a parasite? Yes. Some days I do. Yes, uh, I do. We would. I would never speak ill of little soda. <laughs> little soda. Stay away from my firstborn. <laughs> as long as it's called little soda. Rosemary's Baby. Who hasn't seen Rosemary's Baby? Me. Really? Uh, wow. Wow. I've yeah. seen it like three times. You I guys thought are it was crazy. a classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a Roman Polanski you gotta watch classic. It. Uh, it's a, not a Roman Polanski a, fan. Well, into some up, maybe I'm this I'm also world. not a baby fan. Well, this is more about uh, Satan worshiping cults. I'm also not a fan of Satan worshiping cults. What about movies about Satan worshiping cults? Yeah, name a good one aside from this. Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby is a good one. Which yeah. part of aside from this do you not understand? Thought you meant, uh, oh, uh, on a side with this. What's another good cult movie? Uh, the Believers. I, just, I haven't seen Mike's that yelling either. something through the window. Dragnet. Oh, there you go. Dragnet. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> that so that is, aside from Rosemary's Baby, the cream of the crop of the uh, devil-worshipping cult mm. is Dragnet. So, so yeah, I, uh, I'm i happy with my position. Uh, you got a woman who, uh, you know, uh, gets uh, hooked Mia up with- Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow, mm-hmm. uh, who gets hooked up with this guy who is part of a satanic cult, and they end up making her have sex with the devil- and uh, she's going to give birth to her baby, which is not Little Soda. That's kind of like the ultimate bad boy hookup, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, why would they force her? <laughs> Just find somebody who likes bad boys and go, well, we was, got the best bad boy. If I remember correctly, it was kind of goat-headed. Also, best, is, is he a dangerous male? Oh, yeah, there you go. Also, then it might not go anywhere. Uh, hey, I, I know women who would probably like a dude with a goat head. Mm-hmm. Ruth Gordon was, for me, the best part of that movie. Uh, yeah. 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 She was great. Because there, there was two neighbors in this apartment building, yep. and they were like all going uh, super friendly towards the new, the new couple who just moved in, and she was yep. pregnant. He's, oh, yay, and bringing them over, like food and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, it was all very insidious. Yeah. Mm. And because you didn't really know what was going on until well into the movie. Oh, like, I mean, an hour into the movie? Yeah. Yeah, like easily. It just all felt kind of like an undercurrent of creep, which is kind of Polanski's. Sort of shtick. I'm gonna put Rosemary's Baby in my top six horror movies of all kind of all time. Ooh, I wouldn't put it that high, but uh, but it's you. but it's excellent. Uh, a little trivia, a little Rosemary's Baby trivia. Mm-hmm. Director Roman Polanski, whose pregnant wife actress Sharon Tate was murdered one year later by Charles Manson and his followers. Wow. They titled their de- their killing spree Helter Skelter after the 1968 song by the Beatles. Yeah. One of whose members, John Lennon, would live in the apartment building where Rosemary's Baby had been filmed, and that's where he would die in 1980. Who died there? John Lennon, when he was assassinated outside. In the Rosemary Baby apartment. In the apartment building that Rosemary's Baby was shot in. Hmm. I feel like that's like five to seven degrees of, <laughs> of coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just to, you know, to connecting dots. Maybe it's over a here. really nice apartment building. According to Mia Farrow, the scenes where Rosemary walks in front of traffic were spontaneous and genuine. Roman Polanski is reported to have told her that nobody will hit a pregnant woman. <laughs> that is that is true. That is a truism. Is it? Do you I, think? 
Nobody? Uh, no. I, I don't think that's I ever think happened terrible, in the history of time, has there's it? There's terrible people who would do that. I mean, we're talking about New York in the 60s. I mean, uh, you never know what might have happened. It was kind of like Death Race 2000 out there at that point in time, wasn't it? It was like The Warriors. The Warriors was a documentary. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. People hitting pregnant ladies. Pharaoh, come out and play. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a 1998 film, The Red Violin, which is actually a Canadian production. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually like that movie quite a bit. Me Starring too. It's Nick one of my Fury. favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and directed by Francois Girard, uh, also has uh, Samuel L. Jackson in one of the main roles. That's, mm-hmm. that's Nick Fury, yeah. So, oh, <laughs> it's a torn man. I got gotcha. you. I'm I'm right there with not, <laughs> not having an, any idea what you're talking not, about. Not not an Avengers fan. We're yeah. good. That's why this is one of your favorite movies. If you haven't seen the Avengers to displace it, there uh-huh. we go. Then I can understand that. Precisely. So there's basically uh, four storylines that run throughout this film. Uh, which I'm not totally sure, but I suspect has something to do with the four strings of a violin. Um, But there's the creation of the violin, which is where sort of the uh, maternal pregnancy and birth and death thing comes into it. Well, the storyline all kind of plays out as a mystery. It's like, where did the red violin come from? Like it's up at auction and and you kind of go back through history. Yeah, so those are the four lines that run basically throughout the movie. You have the creation of the violin, the violin's journey throughout three centuries and a bunch of different owners, the auction Mm -hmm. in which different people connected to different points in history are trying to buy it. And then uh, Samuel Jackson's sort of trying to discover and verify the origin of the violin. So basically it's this uh, famous violin maker, uh, the very, very fictional Nicola Busotti or Busotti violin. And he has made this violin is just about to varnish it when his very pregnant wife uh, dies in childbirth with their child. Mm. And um, it's red. You can guess why. Oh, the red violin because of... Of blood, exactly. Wife so blood. No one, in the varnish, yeah. Wife, baby blood. Yeah, no one had really known why this violin had this very particular color and yeah, varnish. It was it one of a kind. All this passion, right? N- none of history. his, none of his other violins had the same color. And does and... the violin only play sad songs? That... Well, <laughs> to tell you the truth, it, it, it only plays one song. It only oh. sounds like babies crying. <laughs> and mother screaming. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I found it a thoroughly enjoyable movie. It's a great movie. It really is. And despite the fact we gave away the twist ending, it's probably worth watching anyway. I like to talk about one of my favorite movies about birth, Juno. Right. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Starring Kitty Pride. <laughs> yes. Uh, not in every movie, though. There was a Kitty Pride uh, in X Men 2 that was not Ellen Page. Yeah, she's only there for a second, though. Yes. Yeah, she's seen in like that group, in the group shot, right? Yep. But it's not. It's not Ellen. I think uh, I need the decoder key for this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're you're in a, you're in a nerd a den of nerditude that uh, superhero nerditude that can't be pretty much unparalleled. Uh, but uh, Ellen Page stars as the entitled character Juno, who yep. gets accidentally pregnant by Bleaker. <laughs> who played by Michael Sarah and uh, at comedy the very first feature film written by Diablo Cody. Diablo, I think it's. Well written. The characters are colorful, and, uh, and the smart. dialogue is hilarious. Yeah. And uh, you've got you know the uh, the J.K. Simmonses and Ooh. the mm-hmm. um, what's her name from uh, the West Wing, uh, the the Allison Jannies, J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> Allison Janney hasn't been in a superhero movie yet, has she? I don't even know. Yeah. So uh, it, it just. Uh, Incredible performances all around. Uh, Jason Reitman directed, and uh, I I still think he hasn't directed a bad movie yet. Mm. 
Uh, he did, um, you know, thank you for smoking and up in the air and uh, um, a young adult. And so, uh, you know, just one more jewel in his crown. As far as I'm concerned, I think it's hilarious. Gleam. Yep. Yep. I like it. The one I want to talk about is just one scene in uh, Star Wars Episode Three, uh-huh. where uh, Queen Amidala giving birth to Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia uh-huh. is being helped by a medical droid, who then gives the amazing robotic diagnosis of she lost the will to live. Uh huh. What? <laughs> I have something to do with midichlorians. I'm sure. <laughs> how? How did that? That robot, that droid, not get memory wiped and put onto the junk heap. No, like, that robot was programmed by Darth Sidious, by the Emperor. Uh, oh, and, and he's robot, just terrible at coming up with excuses. I think the robot was covering his tracks for when yeah. it didn't sanitize its hands and actually gave her pure profile. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, uh, da, da, lost the will to live. <laughs> That's first, what happened. It's the first time a droid has lied. <laughs> yeah. Now we need a story about that droid going off and yes. <laughs> living its life. And going, I can just tell things that aren't true. Oh, we need a full prequel trilogy just about how that droid got to that we part where it was to learn how to lie. <laughs> well, if we're talking about things that we don't like in this theme, yeah. I'm going to bring up the movie Knocked Up, which I think is incredibly overrated. Like, there are people who love that freaking movie, I like and that I think movie. it's kind of stupid. Okay. I watched it recently. I, I watched it. Because I had watched This Is Forty, right? Which yeah. is and then which is the quote unquote, quote unquote sequel, sequel. yeah, because yeah. it's the same characters, right? Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Uh-huh. And I did not like it as much as This Is Forty. This Is Forty oh. is a far better movie than Knocked Up. Absolutely. The only good thing about Knocked Up is Kristen Wiig plays this network executive, and she is freaking hysterical. She's great in everything. She steals every scene that she's in in that movie. And I'm like, who is this chick? And then like the very next year, she was on Saturday Night Live, and I'm like, well, now she's my favorite person of all time. Yeah. <laughs> She's like she she maybe might be on the verge of displacing Tina Fey, in my opinion, as the funniest woman in the world. Wow, (gasps) I think she's probably a funnier performer. Mm -hmm. Tina Fey's probably a funnier writer. Maybe that would be how I would say, based on what I know so far. Although Kristen Wiig did co-write *Bridesmaids*, which is pretty freaking funny. Okay, I haven't seen that. I hear great things. It's pretty freaking funny. I haven't watched Knocked Up in a while, so it totally could be that I really enjoyed it then, and maybe I'd watch it again and be like, yeah, it's kind of dumb. I just never bought it. I just never bought Seth Rogen and Katherine Heigl. I just never bought it. I never bought that, and I didn't understand why she didn't get an abortion. You're right. That whole part is like, this is the wrong time for you to do like, this. There was a the tiny there was like a, to do this. There was like, tw- like 10 seconds where they talked about that and then decided against it for, 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 for not no really reason a reason that was explained. What yeah. about you, Dr. Jenna Mochaccino? Some people don't really have to have a reason that is explainable for other people for those types of decisions. Right. Like, But you'd think that in a movie they would explain that. In real okay, life... No, fair I don't, enough. In okay, real I'll life, I don't need ex- explanations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I- I'm with you on that. Nah. But in a movie, it's like two people who've only kind of been on a date, have no did, chemistry. They did not like each other they after, after, after they, they got the drunk. The no chemistry led to a lot of sex. Yeah. Or at least a bit of no, no, they had sex like the one time, and yeah. then and then they ba- barely saw each other. She didn't want to see him, but then she was pregnant, and then because they were forcing themselves to see each other because they were going to share having a yeah, baby yeah. together, yeah. they ended up falling in love. Or having a relationship. Spoiler yeah. alert. Like, uh-huh. you can't guess that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. 
I got some knocked up trivia. Oh. All right. Uh, Judd Apatow was originally planning on using real footage of a woman giving birth for the delivery scene. <laughs> However, he was unable to do this because he needed to get, according to California law, he needed to get a worker's permit for the yet-to-be-born child. Impossible. Which and is they, impossible. They can't sign it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then the, how do they get, like, ex- except for the CG babies, how do they get babies on screen? Those babies uh, are born. Yeah. Do they have to sign? Do the babies have to sign no, a piece you of have, paper? You have, you have parents, and right. it's like actually a person now because it's outside of a vagina. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you're. Uh, you I could be wrong, but I think you might not be a legal entity until you're born. Mm. All right. I don't know if that's true. Well, uh, according to this trivia, it, that's what the problem was. I want to see a horror law. movie called Legal Entity. <laughs> uh, Ooh. Since knocked up doesn't mean anything in most languages, the yeah. film's translation in Russian was a little bit pregnant. <laughs> okay. Sure, in Brazil, it was slightly pregnant. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. And in Italy, it was very pregnant. Huh. Huh. Fascinating. I guess the Italians don't really care until, you know, you're at a certain point. Like, <laughs> no, now you're very pregnant. Now this is funny. When you're just slightly <laughs> pregnant, it's like, meh. <laughs> Yeah, I guess culturally, that was a that was a, a, a snapshot into each culture of so what's funnier, being yeah. slightly pregnant or being very pregnant. I think for the outside people, that being very pregnant is almost always funnier. Uh, uh, okay. Exceptionally pregnant. Only in the Schadenfreude yeah. sense. Ha ha, you're very pregnant. Look at how pregnant I'm you not. are. Game of Thrones, who remembers the scene where the red culty lady, what's her name? Yeah, Melisandre. Well, she is pregnant. I don't follow. Sort of. And didn't see it. I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you what happens, Kevin. All right. Don't care. There's going to be a lot of people really happy with you about that. Her, her shadow killer baby. She mm-hmm. becomes pregnant, and then she gives birth outside of this castle. Uh, I think he's just kind of uh, at least in the TV show, he's basically set up his armies on a huge field, so he's right. got all his tents and stuff set up. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So she rows this boat to this. They sneak into caverns under the castle. Yeah, caverns under the whatever castle. And, and then she gives birth to to a queef. It is, really. <laughs> yeah. To this kind of gassy, black, smoky creature uh-huh. that comes out and starts killing. Oh. It doesn't even start. It, it specifically goes after the one the, guy the that head, they want the king. Dude, it's yeah. like this smoky assassin evil summoning thing. But it got in there because she had sex with, uh, she had sex with one of the other guys who wants to be king. Yeah, and then cast some sort of spell, kind of spell. Yeah, to turn. This, is, this is her awful, weird magic that uh, she has sex with this guy, and instead of making a baby, she makes a smoky black assassin thing. Okay, she kind of goes the long way around to summoning up a monster. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, in the Game of Thrones world, the material components are a lot harder to get for magic spells. <laughs> uh-huh. There you go. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, "I hope I don't go crazy today." It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new and we'll have more gross facts for you and you'll have things you want to hear about we will too <laughs>
Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while undergoing buckyball therapy. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Or email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Just, you know, it's pronounced pure pearl. Pure pearl. Pure pearl.